video is kind of like the apex format in terms of you can take a video and you can turn it into just audio and you can turn it into a transcript or you can take clips from it and turn it into these other things. And so you can atomize the content. And I think that's where it's like really helpful if you can figure out, again, a simple strategy that you can repeat. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Front of Five podcast, where we check exciting topics from the world of brand, marketing, and creative. My name's Janine, I'm your host, and today we are joined by Chris Savage, the CEO and co-founder of Vistia. He is going to take us on an exciting trip through sensory branding and talk about the importance of video in a brand and marketing strategy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, hi, Chris. We're super excited to have you here as well. And I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Um, maybe like before we dive straight in, can you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do at Vistia, and how everything came about? Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wistia. Um, Wistia is a video marketing platform. We've been around for about 15 years. Um, so we're not your average tech company. I've uh, done things a little bit differently, never raised venture capital. Um, we kind of did this thing where we get customers and they pay us and then we give them a service and the service is hopefully valuable and they keep paying and then we use the money they pay us to run the business. It's a very old school way of doing things, but it's been great. And um, Wistia, the product is, you know, it's a, it's a platform that has hosting and analytics um, and creation tools um, and integrations with like all the different kind of tools you'd need in your marketing tech stack to understand how video is performing, to understand how to make better videos. Um, and then we make a lot of content and we make a lot of, um, you know, articles and guides and shows that are all around helping people figure out how to use video better in the business, how to make video, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, today we're going to talk about sensory branding and really also the place that video holds in that uh, since you're kind of in that industry and that realm. Um, but before we do that, I'd really kind of like to take a step back and hear your view on brand as a whole. So I guess I'm going to start with like the really big question. What does brand in itself mean to you? Yeah, brand is the values and ideals that um, are in the mind of your customer, in the mind of your audience, that um, they expect once they have an understanding of your brand that you will deliver on those values and ideals. And so it can be an incredibly powerful thing for your brand. For your your brand can be incredibly powerful for your company. It can also be incredibly detrimental. So it's it takes um, you know you have to deliver on it with whatever your product is, but you also have to deliver on it with whatever the experiences are that you create. And I think it's something that um, not everyone thinks about. And whether or not you want to, you have a brand. Uh, it's there's no getting around it. And so I'm a big believer that just really thinking about it, investing in it, um, and being intentional can have a huge impact. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in particular, you know, I, I talk a lot about brand affinity, um, which is that connection that someone has to your brand and trying to build a very, very strong connection. And there's so many reasons why you want to do that, but, 
um, when there is really strong brand affinity, what ends up happening is your existing customers will stick with you when you have problems. Um, if they believe you're going to solve them, you know, if they, um, if you're inspiring them to do things differently, they're going to hope that you're going to, uh, do things differently and inspire them with your product. And they hope that they'll get that for themselves. That, that connection ends up showing up in business results, right? Like you have lower churn, you have more expansion, you have more advocacy, and it works all the way through to someone who doesn't even really know you very well. So mm-hmm. if someone comes in and they interact with their company and then they actually start to like the brand because it speaks to them and they relate to it, they're going to be more willing to investigate and understand what it is that you do. And it kind of what we've seen is when you look at um, the time that people spend with your brand. And you have folks that spend much more time, even with content that's not related to the product, they end up acting very differently as they make their way through the funnel. So people who are strong brand advocates or have a lot of brand affinity or even just getting started understanding who your company is, if you have a strong connection, they'll sign up at higher rates, they'll activate at higher rates, they'll convert at higher rates, they'll expand at higher rates, they'll churn at lower rates. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is, you can finally see that. Something that's been incredibly obvious to all the biggest B2C companies and many B2B companies forever, uh, you can, we finally have the data that you can really see that it, that it works. Mm-hmm. Do you have like concrete example of what that means to you at Vistia specifically? Like, I really love that you touched on like the expect, the level of expectation a brand also, ri- uh, or kind of rises to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. Um, we've seen it over and over and over, but uh, one of the examples I think that's really kind of like easy to understand is we've done these big, a few, many different big content pieces. Um, so recently we did Gear Squad versus Dr. Boring, which is an animated series about a bunch of production gear that comes to life at night. Um, and their goal is to make videos like fun and engaging and it's meta and it's ridiculous. But people who spend more time with that, they end up at every stage they are in terms of the customer journey with us at Wistia, they end up converting more. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that with Show Business, which is a series we did on um, you know, how to go from inception to distribution of a show. We saw that with our feature length documentary, One to 100. We even see it with my podcast, Talking Too Loud. And so it's it, one of the things I think that's really interesting about this stuff is like it's it's almost like a separate product that is the content. Mm-hmm. And even that has a really big impact. Of course, when you also go and look at... Um, the the folks who are you know it's the it's the 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 Venn diagram the people who are using your product and they're experiencing all these other things whether it's coming to your events your live events your in person events watching your content reading your books whatever the stuff is like talking to support um, if you go and look at like those positive interactions it ends up you know of course having what we would expect to happen happens like it it lifts the business yeah of course um and i think that's a really important factor so at one side it's kind of that that feeling or that idea people have about you but then also it's just an obvious factor of differentiation or the reason why you end up having or being able to charge a surplus i guess um so we really like to say it is one of your most business critical tools you have in your arsenal and kind of talking about the whole differentiation factor. I know you at Vistia have really solidified yourselves in the video marketing area. Um, when you started out, how did you come about like planning that differentiation and how you positioned your company 
maybe also how you positioned your brand um, from other um, video platforms. Yeah, I like that it seems that we had like a strategy. That's great. <laughs> uh, no, I think like many things, like um, many companies, we tried a lot of different stuff and we just paid attention to what worked. And, um, you know, it's in particular, it was very funny for me with the content because our all I thought we should be doing content in the early days and we should be writing blog posts and we should be getting on social media. And I'm dating myself because all those things were new things, uh, but they were. And you know, if you were to go back and look at the early Wistia blog, uh, it would be like, what are the 10 most important reasons that everyone needs professional video hosting? And then it would be like, the next post would be like 17 reasons why you need professional video hosting. Like it was like the details of making video hosting work, like, um, which that stuff can be helpful, but it was never taking off. It was never getting people really talking about what we were doing. Um, and it was kind of accidental, but we had made some content um, for fun. And uh, we'd made a video of, I think the team was like seven or eight people. And we had a video producer who was a friend of someone at the company. And he was trying to show us that he could help us. Mm -hmm. And we were not convinced on what he was going to do. And so he came in one day and he shot us all working. Like it wasn't a planned shoot. Like literally we were sitting at desks. Um but he edited together this fun thing and added this fun music. And we were actually like, wow, look, it looks like we're a real company. This is pretty fun. And I've never really seen anything like this. And um, he, we then took it. We gave it to us. And we put it online. And we got a really good response. Like a way better response than we got to those like 10 most popular reasons why you need to use video hosting. But the funny thing is, not only did we get a good response in terms of views, but we had really good engagement in terms of questions. And all the questions were like, why did you do this? How did you do this? What cameras are you using? What lights are you using? And um, how did you get it to look this good? All, all of these questions around how the video was made. And we thought that was kind of interesting. And so we decided to answer those questions. And we answered those questions with more content. And every time we'd release content, there'd be more questions. And it became this cycle of like, oh, we found a thing that people care about. We found a thing that people want answers to. And then, you know, looking back, it seems like an obvious strategic decision. But in the early days, it was it was really just like paying close attention to what mm -hmm. potential customers wanted. Um, and it just worked unbelievably well. And so our and we learned so much and got so excited about that aspect of video that it really did change our brand and how we invest. Mm -hmm. And so it went from this thing that was like accidental to, yeah, it became, it became strategic when we understood how important it was. And we also understood how much we enjoyed doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was almost like an extension of everything you'd, someone write into support, it would be about the product, but a lot of things they wrote into us on support also were like, how do we integrate with this other product? Or I'm having trouble with some aspect of my video. Who do you suggest I go to? And it was funny because there was a lot more of those questions than there were questions about like mm -hmm. the tech. Um, and so over time that meant that like, we made content that answered those questions. We also ended up building tools to help people make videos and think and tools that would change how, when you have a finished video, how you know you should make it better or how mm -hmm. do you replace it if you're updating your brand or like all these things that don't seem that hard on the face of it, but actually many cases are hard to do if you're not technical or you didn't have the data before. And so it was kind of like this amazing cycle that that just like, continue actually still continues to go yeah but 
I mean, I guess what it sounds like for me is that understanding your audience or your target audience really kind of also helped you to build that better connection and ultimately then also that brand loyalty. Um, Kind of switching gears a little, um, I know you're really interested in the topic of sensory branding and at Frontify, everything we live and breathe brands. So I'd love to kind of hear from your perspective, um, if you could maybe also kind of introduce us to the world of sensory branding and maybe talk a little bit about um, how you see it and why you think it's so important to pay attention to it. Yeah. Um... I think really it's just as simple as like, as human beings, we are wired to connect with other humans. Um, there is a reason why there's shows every morning that are like the morning, good morning America, the today show um, of these like talking heads that we feel like we can connect to and have a relationship with. There's a reason why there's the late night shows at night. And now there's a reason why, with like the YouTubeification of everything, there's influencers on every topic that we feel like we have a connection to. Like as human beings, innately, we want to sit around a fire and we want to talk, we want to learn, and we want to have a, you know, a small number of people that are like in our little cohort with us. And so do we want the same thing with the companies and the brands that we interact with? Of course we do. You know why? Because we're busy. Uh, because we have lots of different things vying for our attention. Um, and because, especially when we're at work, we want to grow. We want to learn. And so we w- we need a trusted partner. And so I think for all of those reasons, like we're wired to want that connection to people. And you can get that connection in many different ways. Like you can get that through reading. You can get that through listening. Um, I'm just a big believer that when you put all those things together, when you actually are watching something um, and you are listening to that person and you are reading what that person says or that company says, um, that adds up to a a connection that is just much stronger. Um, I'll give you an example actually that was the first time I realized the power of this connection. So we had been making, starting to make videos at Wistia, you know, videos about production. Um, We had done one that was called Shot on My iPhone. Mm -hmm. And we made, someone kept telling us, we were getting these comments that were like, <laughs> they were like, uh, well, we can't make good videos like you because we don't have the budget for the camera mm-hmm. that you have. And we're like, that's silly. It's not about the camera. It's about the lighting. It's about the framing. It's about all this stuff. So we make this video called Shot on My iPhone. This is a really early, the first iPhone I think that you could shoot video on. And we shot everything on an iPhone and we recorded all the sound with an iPhone. We had extra iPhones around that we were recording sound with instead of microphones. Um, and we use like the ringtones to make the music for the video. And this thing did well and it was, it was great, but it was probably like in terms of views, I'm going to say it was 3000 views. I don't, I, something like that, that for me at that time, I'm looking, I'm like, this is great. Um, I go to some conference like two months after, and I'm just talking to random people. I'm very used to people not knowing what Wistia is at this time. I'm like, what do you do? Oh, Wistia, explaining it. And someone sees me and they go, they run over and they're like, are you Chris from Wistia? And I was like, yes. How do you know me? And they're like, (laughs) oh, well, I saw like the shot from my iPhone and I started like reading your blog and I started doing all these other things. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And they're like, can I give you a hug? Oh, no, that's so cute. (laughs) And I was like, really? They're like, yeah, I just, you really inspired me. I was like, 
sure, okay. And so like this random person gave me a hug uh, because they had seen our content. They felt like they had a connection to me. Mm-hmm. I just have a really hard time imagining that if that had only been blog posts that I would have gotten the hug or like if that had only been a podcast, like an audio podcast by itself, that I would I don't think it would have happened. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the same level of connection. And um, over time, as we got bigger, we made more content, we featured more people inside the company. This just became a common occurrence of people working at Wistia is like, oh, there's all these folks on camera and you go to some event. Someone's like, do you work at Wistia? Are you Brendan from Wistia? Are you Jeff from Wistia? And it just that started to happen. And so I, and I think it's because for to bring it back to where I started, like people want a small number of people in their lives that they trust. And in all the different areas of their world, and if you're someone who's like spending a lot of time thinking about video and you're trying to make better content, then one of those people could be someone at Wistia for you. And that meant that you had a really deep connection. And, you know, the sensory branding of the of the company was like far stronger, I think, than had it just been um, one of the other mediums that are available. Because you sparked emotion. And yeah. from that also, ultimately, that connection was made even stronger. Yeah. And it's like we delivered on a brand, right? Like, so it's like, it's like friendly, engaging, but you're actually learning stuff. And so that's what happened in the videos. That's what we try to do in person. That's what happened with the product. And so it's this like flywheel of, of trying to get the brand um, as you know, and I say flywheel because like it all builds on itself and it also needs to be evolving. But um, yeah, the power of that was just so incredible and so differentiated. That's really cool. I really love it. I like the personification as well, you know, like actually um, putting the people in front of the brand and making you more kind of understandable or relatable as well and very authentic. Um, So I really, really like that aspect. Um, So where does video come in in all of this? Because I think ultimately, as a listener, maybe if I hear sensory branding for the first time, I would probably think, oh, well, that's just having like a holistic experience. If I walk into a store, then I kind of smell the bread or I smell some leather um, when I walk into the shoe department. But that's very like generic. It's not unique to one brand. And what you explained just before is really then tying all of that to a single brand. Um, Like if we stay kind of in that retail example, when we would take Abercrombie and Fitch that actually like has its own scent, dims the light, like really creates that experience. And for me to then kind of translate that to video, um, I probably think that a lot of people, the first thing they say is like, oh, well, that's just um, visuals and audio. But I would say, actually, you can just really also apply to so many different senses with video, simply by triggering a memory as well, like the memory of touch, the memory of smell. So how do you see the whole context of video fitting into the whole sensory branding topics? Do you have like specific example that comes to mind? I mean, I think it's just like, are you doing stuff online or not? Like, you know, the smell stuff great like you know like and the dim lights fantastic i mean i think there's the analogy to getting your design right which matters enormously online Mm -hmm. um but if you want to tell stories you want to bring people into an experience that would normally be in person i think it's extremely hard to do that without um without using video in some way to kind of create that experience for folks Do you have an example that you think is a very good one of kind of like communicating a brand story or really also building brand awareness? I mean, there's so many. Um, uh, Yeah, like 
um I'm I'm almost flummoxed by how many there are. I mean, I, I think I I feel like every day I turn around and see um, more companies like doing this really well. Um, there's a company called 360 Learning that has mm-hmm. a show called Onboarding Joey that is about um, someone joining the team, and uh, it's like it's a show about a person who's joining a company, what their experience is like joining. And getting up to speed and working there and like dealing with all the stuff that's going on. And um, it was started uh, pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's it's something that's interesting to look at because, you know, for them, they want people to understand like what they're about and what they care about um, as a business. Um, and they can do that through this employee's experience that normally you would probably only get on like a tour in the office and you'd only mm-hmm. get like a little bit of it. Um, and you know, they're, they're an LMS, like, so they're a learning management system that's helping people figure out like, of course, like, how do you, how do you help your team get up to speed and do better work and like all this kind of stuff. But, um, I think like, that's a really nice example of, of someone who's done this well, in terms of taking an experience that would have been in person, taking an experience that would have been in like a webinar or a demo and making it like really human and making it really accessible and doing something that's actually pretty simple mm-hmm. um, that ultimately if they weren't doing that, you wouldn't have that feeling around the brand. And I would probably also add that everyone knows exactly what that feels like and that's why it's so relatable. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um. How do you kind of see the difference between B2B and B2C companies, what the challenges are there? Or maybe also, if not B2C and B2B, the difference between like companies that actually sell a product versus kind of SaaS companies, service companies. Um, I feel like there's a lot of different challenges there that some have more than others. Yeah, I think the, I think the biggest difference is B2C has known that brand matters for a long time. And I think B2B has often ignored brand um, because like they're, they're thinking like, Oh, we're going to sell based on saving costs or we're going to sell based on, you know, helping you drive more revenue. Those are like the most simple reasons why you, someone's going to buy something. And um, while those are obviously enormous motivators, one of the challenges that, that everybody has, I think today is that like, it's never been easier to start a company. There's more competition than ever. Everyone is online and is on equal footing. Um, and therefore, if you don't have a strong connection um, to, you know, if you look at a, let's say, like, let's look at um, a market uh, that is, and let's keep it B2B to make it hard. But like, let's say it's, it is, um, you know, like a wiki, a wiki product. So if you're trying to sell a wiki product to other businesses, and there's a ton of them, there's a ton of different wiki products, why, what type of decision is someone going to go through when they're trying to decide to, like, to buy one of those products? They're going to look at how much it's going to cost them. They're going to look at supposedly how much more efficient they're going to be when they work. They're going to look at like how it integrates into other things. There's going to be a bunch of different product features mm-hmm. that they look at. But ultimately, they're going to have to dig to look at all the details on any of these. Like It's going to take a lot of time to try to understand and make sure that you're making the right call. And so often what ends up happening is that um, 
the easiest thing to do is actually to call up your friend who's supposed to be the expert expert and say, which one do you like? Like, which one's the good one? <laughs> like, help me make sure that I'm making a good decision. And that person almost always is going to recommend the one that they have the strongest connection to, the one that is delivered on the product experience, and the one that has kept themselves relevant um, and has the strong brand. And so the brand actually really does matter um, when these recommendations are happening and when people are trying to take a really complex decision. Sometimes they're almost impossibly hard to make these decisions and make it um, easier. Um, and th the other thing I think that that really matters in B2B that didn't before uh, is that like as more companies embrace product-led growth, which really means using the product to grow the business, and often that means having you know free or very cheap plans to help people get started, um, the difference from when uh, from how you interact with the customer is that you know you're not selling this big enterprise thing where you're looking at this long list of features and saying I hope we check off all the boxes. Like actually, the decision happened three weeks ago when someone signed up for a free product and they started using it. And again, how did that happen? It, they're going to go with the thing that makes them feel like it's going to solve the problems for them because they're not going to know. And so I just think that like this like it's almost like the frog being boiled slowly situation has occurred where all in B2C, they've known forever, hyper competition, you know, a lot of the biggest companies in the world are companies that are just incredibly good at building, you know, really strong brands around consumer products that like we buy on shelves and stores or we buy on Amazon. Um, and it's actually happening to B2B. It's just people don't necessarily realize just how important um, the brand has become and word of mouth has become in a world where um, there are so many options. I think it's also harder, though, to actually then create that connection, especially if you don't have a physical product. Like, I don't know, if you think about a Mercedes or an Apple product, you can really like see the details that go into creating all of that and really also playing towards the senses. Whereas if you have a service, it's a lot harder to really play towards the full spectrum um, of that. And I mean, just one example that comes to mind from our, us as well is um, when I talk about like em employer branding, welcome uh, employee welcome packages, like then we kind of go into the realm of actually thinking about, okay, what does Frontify as a physical product feel like? Like what does the packaging feel like? And it then kind of goes into all of these like census topic, whereas I feel like communicating that online for a service company feels much more challenging. I mean, I think if it's if you're if it is truly services and there's not a product, I agree with you. I think that is that is a lot harder, um, and I think you do have to rely on, you know, like physical goods, mm -hmm. or you have to rely on like the experiences that are online. You know, it's like almost, um, are you is everyone always on top of like being at meetings on time and you know. Um, delivering your digital goods in a way that is like fast or responsive or whatever the, the values are that you're mm -hmm. trying to do. Like that stuff matters even more. I agree with you because like there isn't another experience. I think for like online software, I think you can build a brand and an experience where folks can tell like that there are much more effort put on to the details or much more effort put into simplifying an experience um, or making a delightful experience. Or, and it's often the stuff that's like the extra stuff. Like it's it's the sign-up pages. It's the landing onboarding pages. It's the thing that happens when you do something successfully. Um, MailChimp for years had a thing that whenever you uh, 
sent a campaign, this like high five would come up on the screen. And that do they need to do that? No. But like, was that a huge driver for them actually? Yes. Because people would send campaigns, they're stressed, they'd get this like, you know, emotional response of like, oh yeah, wow, I just did a good thing. And then they would share it out. And like, they're not going to share it out if it just said, you know, took them back to the, to the main page. So I think you can do it, but I agree with you. If it's just services, I think it is. It requires like other tools. Mm-hmm. But I think your examples are perfect because they really speak towards how you make that connection um, emotionally and kind of, yeah, triggering that aspect as well. And just going back to really understanding your target audiences and seeing what resonates with them. Um, so I stalked you a little bit, I have to be honest. And, um, on one of your podcasts talking to loud, I don't remember if it was, um, Shopify or Unum, but you talked about how you really loved, um, like the continuous learning aspect of things and, um, that you started following a bunch of people, um, regarding metaverse and NFTs and VRs and stuff like that. (laughs) And it got me thinking and I was like, I really want to hear your take on this. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you feel virtual reality, um, kind of drives in the context of your industry and maybe also um, how you at Vistia specifically kind of prepare for that future of video marketing or just kind of how you see that all kind of sliding into your area of expertise? This is a good question. Yeah, you you hit on something that I've been thinking (laughs) a lot about. Um, Yeah, so um, I've been playing around with the virtual reality stuff for years and um, we got an Oculus at Wistia that was, I think, the Oculus Rift or I can't, the Oculus One. I can't remember exactly what it was called, but it was like a physical thing with a big computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had the headset with the cord to the computer. You had no sense of if you put this thing on, you couldn't tell where you were. It was like this virtual reality experience, kind of low res, but like you couldn't tell if you're about to walk into the computer or walk into the screen. Like we, and we had all those things happen. Like, you know, people got hit in the face when someone's playing like this game super hot and, um, all these ridiculous things happen. Um, and we actually added support in Wistia for 360 videos after seeing that. So mm-hmm. you can upload a 360 video, which means that it, with a VR headset, if you are, you can look at this Wistia hosted video, it could be, you go to a browser in the Oculus and you click a button and then, um, you look up and you see above you, you look down, you see below you, you look to the left and right. You feel like you're in a space. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and I thought it could happen quickly that, that we would be adopting this. And I dramatically underestimated how hard these like hardware problems are that everyone's been working on mm-hmm. in that like this is obviously the the limiting factor to how many people are going to use VR is like the price, um, how light this thing is on your face um, and, you know, the battery life and a bunch of other things. But like for it to be truly ubiquitous for everyone to really get the benefit of it, um, we just need a new, a few more revs of like what the the Oculus and all these other the Vive and all these things look, look like. So, I think it's actually a really interesting lesson um, and something I've learned a few times is is actually not that hard to predict the future. So, where what will happen eventually here? Well, the the if the tech gets small enough and it gets good enough, basically everyone should be able to walk around with glasses that have augmented reality in them. And um, when that happens, and you can put on a pair of glasses, and you know we know companies are working on this, Apple's working on this, um, but you put on a pair of glasses that you feel like you know still represents your personality and looks good and blah, blah, blah. 
but also you're getting another layer of information about the world in it. Or like, oh, if you want to watch a video that someone sends to you, you don't have to look at your iPhone. You can like have it play back on your glasses. And actually, probably because it's playing back in your glasses and it's an inch from your face, instead of being, you know, five inches on the phone, it's 50 inches effectively mm-hmm. in front in your field of view. Like, I do think that's going to happen. But the big question is when. And um, so when I think about any type of new tech that looks like this, a big what we're looking at is like, what are all the things around it? What is the speed that the market's moving and changing? Um, and when does it seem like mass adoption will happen? And, and no one knows. Um, and that's part of the fun is no one knows. But as someone in a position who is making decisions on like, when should we be concerned about, you know, um, video in the metaverse, as an example, mm-hmm. um, I think it's something to be looking at. But the sheer numbers of people that have it today are, are too small for it to be the killer app. Like, will that happen eventually? Yes, I think it will happen. But are there going to be a bunch of phases before that happens? Yes. And those phases are going to be around like gaming and social experiences that are very, very hard to do um, online uh, today that it feel incredibly easy in VR. And so that's kind of how I look at it and think about it is like, what are the stages that these things are going to go through? But I also, I am constantly trying to learn. I'm trying to pay a lot of attention. I'm looking at the, you know, the NFTs is what I was also talking about in that episode of like, what is really, what is the core thing that's valuable here? And um, if this is like the dot-com boom in the late 90s, we should expect that the vast majority of these NFTs are going to be worthless. But some of the underlying tech that gets innovated on now, just like happened then, will end up making its way into the internet that we all use. Mm -hmm. And I I think that will happen. And so um, I think the only way to get it right is to pay close attention and play around with it. And you have to enjoy doing that. And fortunately for me, I I do. (laughs) And if we kind of bring it back to sensory branding, like where do you see the potential in that for companies within that kind of virtual reality space? Yeah. I mean, I think if everyone has uh, a VR headset and they do some work in it um, on the B2B side, I think there will be opportunities to have conferences and stuff in there that are actually incredibly inclusive and accessible um, that today are really hard to do. And, you know, um, I think there'll be a huge opportunity there. On the B2C side, there is an opportunity now. Um, you know, you're, you have to decide if your customers are early adopters, if they are a young, young demo that is like in their gaming, um, you're kind of late if you're not already thinking about it. Right. Um, and so I think it all comes back to, as you said, you know, who is your audience? What do they need? What do they care about? And for a lot of us, like our audience is not going to be there yet, but for some, they're going to be there. And actually the ones who are there are going to be the ones who have budget and they have time and they're looking for new experiences. They're actively looking for fun and interesting things to do. And so if you can deliver on it, I think like um, you can build a beachhead that will become really valuable over time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also going to create like a whole new kind of option or potential. Sorry, English is my second language. Sometimes I'm, I think it also um, creates an opportunity. That's the word I was looking for um, to really build more brand engagement as well, because there's a whole new set of concepts that you can play with to engage your consumer audience. Oh, totally. 
I mean, it's a huge opportunity. I'm, I'll give you an example. So at Wistia, you know, we have 160 people on the team and we got everyone an Oculus in December. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And we did it because pre-COVID, we were 10% remote, 10%, 10% not in Boston, which is where the headquarters is. Um, and today we're 40% not in Boston um, already. And um, we will be more <laughs> like people are all over the place. And when it's safe to get together, like we want people to be able to get together. And we've been, we were doing that before Delta and then a little bit during Delta. And now obviously Omicron's happening. And then, you know, who knows what the next thing will be. But when it's, when it feels more safe to get folks together, we'll do that more. But still, people are all over the country, they have different things going on. Um, and everyone's, everyone's busy with work. Um, but one of the things that is really different today than for us pre-COVID was pre-COVID, you came into the Wistia office, you would see a lot of energy and you would see a lot of people doing stuff that did not look like work. Um, whether it was, you know, um, playing games with each other or hanging out in the kitchen eating, you know, treats because it was someone's breakfast or birthday breakfast or um out going for walks together, whatever. There was a lot of social stuff. There was a lot of time spent on things that are not actually like the work. And yet a lot of that stuff really matters. Like those random random run-ins really matter. Those connections really matter. And we've tried lots of things on Zoom. Um, we've tried lots of different tools to get people to spend time together. The problem is everyone just gets tired of staring at their computer. And so we thought, what if we get people in Oculus and we say, look, just try, try playing mini golf together. Uh, try playing these like, first person shooters, try doing the like fishing games and the cooking things and just see what happens. And it was only, it's only been like three weeks since everyone had one of these things, but it's been crazy to see how much people are doing it and how much fun folks are having. And also like the type of connection they feel like they have with others in a way that it stands out and is different from um, just being on zoom. And so I look at that and I'm like, wow, like this has already happened in three weeks with this extremely organic thing. Like let's, let's see where this goes and let's evolve it. But I, I wouldn't be surprised um, if like, you know, in a two years, three years, like a lot of folks are giving, giving their team time to spend in VR mm -hmm. and they're doing it because even when things are safe, we also, everyone is remote friendly now. Everyone has people all over the place. And so if you want that other type of connection or that type of hang, you're going to have to try something that's like really designed for the like online virtual presence. And that is something like VR. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can completely agree with that. I think that's something that a lot of us are really missing. Like the pre-COVID state where we were like able to have that human connection internally with people from all sorts of different departments, with people you shared the same interest because you were at the office and you cook dinner together or you spent every Friday evening together um, or because you do play FIFA. And for me, it was always... Yeah. I don't know. I'm not like, I don't game. Like I don't play yeah. FIFA and anything, but I loved walking into the third floor on our office and just seeing people have fun. Like just, I don't even need to be like in it. I just loved seeing it. And I really missed that part when we were kind of going remotely. And I love that, that you've kind of found a way to get back to that, um, with virtual reality. I'm hope yeah. I'm hoping that it's something that's in the mix. Like that's, that's what I would say based on the experience so far is like, the tech is good enough and these things are cheap enough 
and it's easy enough to set up. And there's some, there's enough stuff in there that's like different that like, um, kind of hits different, different people's interests. Like, I don't think everyone's going to be into it, but I think for just, as you said, like not everyone's going to be into playing FIFA, but some people are getting really into it. And if they're sharing those experiences with other folks and they're like, Oh, we were playing mini golf last night and you know, we're playing and I heard XYZ is happening. Like you're part of the business that makes someone else think, huh? Like, should I try that? And I think in the future, even even I guess what I'm saying is like, even if there's no more COVID, but you have remote working, I think we're still going to need time and space for stuff like this. That really is just like it's permission to not work. Like it, it's permission to hang out. It's permission to spend time with others. It's permission to share your interests. It's permission to be who you are. Um, and just more ways of connecting like that. Like you know, it's it's. Again, like it's not all the way to the place where everyone is going to do this all the time, but I can kind of see that future where that will happen at some mm-hmm. point. And like you'll do it and then, you know, you'll go into the office for two weeks and then you'll travel to this other place and you'll feel like you're more in touch and you have more of a connection. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that will happen. I think it's also in terms of, you know, onboarding, like big, bringing people up to see, speed, making sure that they feel like they're part of the company. It's just there's a lot of potential really there to make sure that everyone feels part of the team and has that connection across teams as well, because totally. that's really hard when you start and you don't know anyone, then kind of getting that connection, not at the coffee machine, but now remotely. So I think it's it's really cool to hear that. Yeah. I mean, uh, actually, the other thing I would throw out just on this topic that is like... um I think also helpful if folks are trying to figure out other ways to connect with, with, with their teams is like, mm-hmm. um, phone calls <laughs> and like not being on camera and, and literally like walking around on the phone. And it's just like, I think like variety is almost like the most important thing. Um, and the var- variety in the office was like, Oh, you're at the coffee machine or like you're hanging out in the kitchen or someone's playing pinball or you're watching people play FIFA or you're going out to lunch. And the variety in remote is like, I'm on Zoom, I'm on Zoom, I'm on Zoom, I'm on Zoom. And so it's like, okay, you're on Zoom or you're in VR or you're doing a phone call or you are seeing this person or, you know, just it's just a mix. And I, I phone call is just silly, but I think it actually is. It takes work to be on camera. There's a lot of evidence of like, you know, seeing yourself on camera is stressful for people. Um, and so not seeing yourself is, is nice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a really interesting Harvard Business Review on that, um, like specifically talking about what it feels like for people seeing themselves all day long, because it's not what you're usually doing. And people are also a lot harder to themselves when it comes into like reviews and things like that, because they're like giving themselves a review, looking at themselves. So yeah, such an interesting topic. Um, It is. Totally going off for you um so maybe not just looking forward but also looking back um what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the video marketing space like from when you started to now wow um i mean at the beginning everyone we talked to was interested in making videos but they weren't making them they're like that's too expensive you know literally it was like oh we could make a a launch video that'd be 30 grand like we're not doing that and so like i watched it go from that to you can make one yourself um, and anyone can make a video for anything. Will it be the highest quality if you've never done it before? No. Will you be embarrassed by it? Yes. Um, but can it still create an emotional connection and um, have an impact on your business? Yes. And I think that change has been absolutely enormous. Um, I think the change, it's, it's really changes around production that have been the most, the greatest changes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's funny actually because like in college, I I I focused on film and video, and I actually focused on film. Like you know, like I shot on sixteen millimeter, and, and behind me are like I found some of my sixteen millimeter things recently. And in when I was in school, was like, hey, we're shooting sixteen millimeter, and then the next year they're like, oh, actually these like mini DV cameras are good enough that we can use these now. And instead of like having to get the film developed and having it cost $200 for, you know, 10 minutes of footage, this one just costs the amount of the tape, which is $7. Mm-hmm. And like, I like, it was like in front of my eyes, like that happened in school. And I feel like the trajectory is still, it's still dropping the price of, of making things. And the quality of the cameras around us is getting better. Uh, webcams are getting better. There's new, more professional webcams coming out all the time. The webcams on the newest computers, like the the Apple M ones, are getting really good, and I think that's been a huge change. Um, I mean, the other side of that is like when everyone can make content. Like on the one hand, the bar is lower, the expectations are lower, and we see that if you look at influencers and you look at Instagram, where people people aren't worried about showing what's in their background in the way they were before, or they're not worried about shooting stuff themselves. Uh, but there's also more competition, and so like you also have to get. At the same time, it's like the the cost of producing this stuff has gone down, but your focus has to go up. You have to be more focused than ever. Back to the same thing we were talking about before, like who is your target customer? What do they care about? What do they need? Mm-hmm. And you can have a thing that the production of you know, can be kind of crappy, but if it is really nailing who it's for, it'll still res- resonate and take off mm-hmm. um, and have an impact. But and- it, that that matters more when there's more competition. Yeah. And I think it's a lot harder also to then cut through the noise for everyone else who is not like really focused on a niche area. Yeah. I think it's way harder. Uh, and for that reason, it's almost like your best, the the best way you're going to grow an audience is by staying extremely close and understanding extremely well the audience that you have, right? Like you need them to be the brand advocates. You need them to be the loyalists who they love what you're doing. It's helpful to them. They trust you and they start telling other people, oh, you should trust these folks too. Like this mm-hmm. is valuable. Um, Cause it's so, so hard today um, to go the other direction. It's possible, but you have to have a much larger budget. You have to have expectations that like the stuff isn't always going to work out. Um, and you honestly, I mean, you have to treat it more. You have to come in hot. Like you are a successful B2C brand with a big budget, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what's happening. Um, and it's this major bifurcation and there, uh, there's opportunity for both, but you, you do have to think about it like that. Yeah. And I would probably also add being bold enough to actually know who you're not for, um, helps a lot in, in this area. Um, so maybe for those that have not started, um, kind of engaging in video marketing, like what would your tips be to kind of start off? Yeah, I would say, um, you want to, you want to be human. You want to connect. Um, and let people build that relationship with you. You know, we talked about that before. I think that's really important. I think the playing field has been leveled. Everyone, you know, is used to people being at home. We're used to seeing celebrities at home. That's actually really helpful because it changes. Um, it changes the tropes. Like it changes what's normal. Um, and I think that's like a helpful thing. I think you have to be hyper focused on your audience. And I think you have to look at this as like you're not going to make one video. Like you have to look at this as like we're we're going to be making a video marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. That means we're going to be making a lot of video, and um, so each video should have a goal. And 
That way I can tell and learn enough from the video I made. Did it work? Did it not? Did it resonate? Did it not? What did people like about it? What didn't they like about it? And then I think you have to uh, treat it like, I think you have to treat content like a product. Like I think you have to, um, you know, get the qualitative feedback to understand what's working and what's not. And I think you have to iterate on it. And if you can close that loop, that's that, that will be how, how things end up working out. Um, and then I think the other thing is like audiences, we have to remember, it doesn't matter if there are, if you're B2B or B2C, um, the audience is in control. The audience gets to choose and they get to choose how they consume. They get to choose how they learn. Um, and that's just really important because, um, some people want to watch and some people want to listen and some people want to read. And so my suggestion is give people all those options. Mm-hmm. And, um, that means, you know, like video is kind of like the apex format in terms of you can take a video and you can turn it into just audio and you can turn it into a transcript or you can take clips from it and turn it into these other things. And so you can atomize the content. And I think that's where it's like really helpful if you can figure out again, a simple strategy that you can repeat, but like this podcast or my podcast, right? Uh, talking to lab. When we set out to do it, we said we need to do something that is inc- that we're actually genuinely excited about. It's going to be fun to do. I'm going to be learning like every episode that we do it, and this will be kind of like the baseline that we use to iterate and get better as we go forward. And then we need it to be simple. It needs to be easy. Um, we actually, in that case, started only with audio. Mm-hmm. Because we just thought, look, let's just take the pressure off, like having folks on camera. Yeah. Uh, like, let's make it really easy for the guests. And then over time, we've had a lot more requests to have more video. And so we're like, more episodes are on video. And they are just like this. They're just shot with Zoom. Like, they're shot in people's homes. They're shot in people's offices. And it doesn't look perfect. And actually, that's that's what people want. And so I just think, like, it's it's that heartbeat of, like, how do you find the thing that you can keep doing that you care about? And that you can invest in for long enough that you can actually tell if it's working and you can you can give yourself time to iterate and improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I love the authenticity aspect of things. Um, as soon as people feel like you're being authentic, I think you have a really big win as a company as well. And yeah, it's just very inspiring. And I also love that you're not forcing people to be on camera straight off the back if they don't want to be. So I think that's really, really cool. Even though you're like coming from the video marketing area and the industry of like just, yeah, in the whole video space, but you're still kind of um, okay enough to just also say like, this is going to be a different format. That's really cool. Uh, Time flies. So before we go, maybe from your point of view, like looking back at the last, um, the minutes that we spent together, um, what would kind of your three takeaways be that listeners should really take from this conversation that we had today? Yeah, I would say, I think people should take away that your brand matters and you have one, whether or not you want to. So you should probably invest in (laughs) in building a great one um, and one that does the job that your customers need you to do. Um, I think on the video side, like it's become an expectation of customers that they, that some of them want to watch, not all of them, but some of them want to watch. And I think if you're not making video, that is actually good for you because it means that you're instantly going to have demand. And so start, just start, um, and don't worry too much because like the playing field has been leveled. Um, 
And then I would say, like, you know, I feel like we went back many times to the same thing, but like, this all comes back to knowing who the customer is and being really focused and really targeted. And a world that's more competitive, there was more competition, um, being focused is more important, but also in a world where the internet is so enormous in terms of how it connects us and where our customers can be. If you have like a really tiny niche, that actually in on an absolute basis can be a really big number. And so just don't forget that because the tendency is often to go the other direction and like try to make everyone your customer. And then what you say will resonate with no one. So just stay focused because I think like in today's world, you actually can. Yeah. You can't be all things to all people. So yeah. focusing is really good. Um, so yeah, I feel like we're already at the end of this. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really nice talking to you. And I really feel like I want to get you and our CEO together because he is so interested in the topic of um, virtual reality as well. So oh, really? um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe at some point we can continue this conversation. But thank you so much for your time and your insights. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, look, thanks for having me. This is fun and happy to chat. Happy to chat VR, AR, metaverse anytime. That sounds really cool. That cool. leaves me to say thank you so much and goodbye. Bye. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe or head on over to frontify.com slash podcast and learn more about the interesting things in the world of brand. <laughs>